What's up, runners? On this week's episode of the Up and Running Podcast, I am bringing my first ever guest to the podcast. I have come across some pretty incredible individuals in the running space and community and just across the athletic community, and I would like to introduce them to you and have them come onto the podcast, tell their own stories, and just learn a different point of view from different athletes and how they have adapted to the sport and move forward, what brought them here. So on this week's episode, we are going to be talking with Gregory Damien. He is an author, an avid triathlete, and a fitness disruptor, as he puts it. So stay tuned to find out exactly what that means and enjoy. What's up, runners? This is the Personalized Running Doc. I'm a runner rehab specialist, running coach, and competitive distance runner. And throughout the early years of my running career, I was plagued with repetitive injuries and told by many a professional that it was my body's own fault that my body wasn't built for running, so either I could quit or just live with the pain. I decided to choose option three, dive into the science behind running and training, which is what allowed me to return to running pain-free and continue chasing after my own PRs to this day. And now I'm gonna tell you all that I have learned along the way and how I coach my own athletes to do the same. This is the Up and Running Podcast. What's up, runners? This is Dr. Lauren on the Up and Running podcast, and I'm welcoming welcoming my first ever guest, Greg. Um, so, Greg, I just want to start off and ask you, who is Greg? Hi, Lauren. Thanks for having me on. I'm, I'm privileged and honored to be your first guest. And, well, I, I'm an author. Uh, I am a motivational speaker at times. I consider myself to be a health and fitness not only influencer, but maybe even a disruptor. Um, and I'm a health coach. So that's that's how I describe myself these days. Tell me a little bit more about being a fitness disruptor, as you put it. Like, what does that exactly what, mean? What in that means in my mind is I am happy to be a role model for what a man of my age can be and do from a physical perspective. Mm-hmm. Right. So um, I, I don't accept the, the aging labels and stuff like that, because, you know, sometimes, <laughs> sometimes I hear the word senior or um, these kinds of age casting, and I just don't accept it. Right. Mm-hmm. And I, I think we can we can all um, use some examples of what's possible. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and I've seen a lot of men and women in, in my in my age group that have kind of given up and, and it's kind of sad, right? And it's not just, you know, I mean, we see it in all age groups, right? Where people have just sort of assume that their body is not capable of doing anything or it's not worth their effort, right? To do some of that stuff. And I've set some really high goals for myself and uh, physically goal, physical goals, like, um, I want to be able to climb Kilimanjaro when I'm 80. That's awesome. Yeah. You know, um, and I've, and I used to live in Colorado. I've climbed a bunch of the 14,000 foot mountains in Colorado not too long ago. Uh, and someone asked me, well, why don't you just go do it? And I'm like, well, the point is to be able to do it when I'm 80. <laughs> not now. I mean, it's, 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 to me, it's another mountain, right? It's kind of mm-hmm. a cool mountain in another continent, right? That I've never been to. But that's the sort of thing that I'm thinking about. And that's that's an example of being a fitness disruptor. 
I love that. Um, and I, I mean, I experienced that not only in the running community, but I've experienced and heard that countless times when I was just in traditional medicine Mm -hmm. about, well, I'm X years old. I have arthritis. Like I'm not going to do this anymore. or I'm not going to be able to like do X anymore. So why even try? Because society has told me that I'm not meant to do this. I mean, I, I personally at, I think I was 20 years old at the time was told that I was maybe too old to continue competitive running. And I was like, Oh wow. Well, yeah. <laughs> I was like, well, this is bullshit. Yeah, <laughs> um, yes. I swear on my own podcast, but, um, I, I did not accept that, that that was going to be my limitation at 20 years old. Like there was no way that my body wasn't able to continue progressing and continue competing. And here I am 10 years later and I I'm still competing at a high level. Um, my priorities and my life kind of demands have shifted obviously from a 20 year old to a 30 year old, but I'm still prioritizing those goals and still prioritizing what I want to achieve. And I, I am also, I was saying this actually to a client yesterday that I want to be the runner that is like 80 years old and still setting like records for their age groups because I believe that it's 100% possible for us to be doing that. Like I've seen so many videos lately of um, seniors, quote unquote, running marathons and setting world records. I think there was a 76 year old woman that ran Boston this past year and ran a 336. And I'm like, that's incredible. Yeah. And like, nobody would think that that's quote unquote possible until we show it until we prove it and we can put it out there, which I think is one of like the blessings of social media and other platforms now is that Mm -hmm. like this information can be distributed. It can be shown. It can be proven. And we can be a fitness disruptor in that way of like proving that these things that society has told us, no, it's not possible. It is actually 100% possible. Right. Yeah. I love that. Um, so tell me a little bit about the people that you work with and your side of your business in terms of how you work with your clients and you motivate them. Um, so, um, using the book, it's my metaphor. So I I recently released my book, Abs at 60, the four steps to look and feel younger at any age. And, and I have a, um, an acronym that I use called DOLR. So dream big, own your health, live well, and recharge often. And I, I want to acknowledge that almost every health and fitness sort of book encompasses these components, right? Mm-hmm. I, I'm probably not saying anything new. I've, I've packaged it in a way that, you know, that resonated with me because I'm, when I went back and thought about how did I get to where I am, um, these were the things that, that made sense some of which I did better than others. I, I certainly wasn't perfect along the way. Um, but the, the D for dream, D, dream big is really about that. What is it that you want to be um, and why, right? Really, those are the two main points. And, um, and in a way, physical fitness is, is a vehicle, right? It isn't necessarily... For some people, it is the end result. And in a way, I feel it is for me. If I can be a motivator or a, an example or a disruptor, then in a way, the physical fitness is a result. But in another, for, for most people, it isn't. It's, it's an enabler, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's like time and money are enablers to have experiences. So 
whatever it is that motivates you, that's what the, the dream is. And then we need to, to think about how do we use um, fitness as a way to achieve that end result, right? Mm-hmm. You know, and um, I am a big fan of Peter Atia. I listen to his book, Outlive, and his podcast, The Driver, are big influences for me. Um, and, you know, he talks about what do we, what is it that we want to be even when we're a hundred and, and how do we want to, you know, and how do we want to interact with the world? So that's, that's the kind of the very first step, right? Is, is the big why, why do we want to do something? What is it that we want to do? And from there, it's really about assessing where you are and what's the gap. Um, I'm a big fan of, of incremental change. I, I don't think that big radical changes generally work very well, right? We're not going to go out and run 10 miles. No. We've never <laughs> run before, right? To use that. It's all metaphor. about progressive overload. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And the 10% week over week kind of in, in, improvement in that, in that regard. Um, and, and, Physical activity is obviously just one component of health, right? There's there's the diet side, um, sleep, which I know you you talk about as well, right? Stress management, um, and just the, and, and what I call recovery is is sleep, as well as like the um, there's even a spiritual uh, component to that as well, or, or a meditative component. Yeah, taking um, off some like mental and emotional load. I talk about that a lot with my female clients. Yeah, so so that's the, that's the idea. Own your health. The second step is knowing that it's kind of there's an, an interesting. There's two sides to the own own your health coin. The first side of it is is that you alone are responsible for your health. It's not your doctor's responsibility. It's not your spouse's responsibility, right? Um, it's not your health insurance is responsibility or the government's responsibility. It's your responsibility. It's your health. No one cares more about your health than you do. And that's, you know, just the car, the harsh, cold reality. Right. But on the other side of that coin is a bunch of people that want, can and want to help you. Right. So these are the medical and, and therapeutic professionals such as yourself, right. That, um, are available especially once we've been clear, become clear about what it is that we want to do. Lauren, can you help me run um, a half marathon in under an hour and a half? Mm-hmm. Right. Um, your doctors, right. And, and dentists and all of these other folks are, are a part of the team that um, can help you become the person that, that you want to become. Right. But you have to understand Right. You're not what exactly you want to do and how much it matters to you and how much it matters to you. And, and the fact that those other people, while they can help you, they can't do the work. Correct. <laughs> right. Yeah. I day. say that all the time. I'm like, I have like everybody thanks me and they're like, thank you so much for like doing X, Y, and Z and helping me get to this point and doing here. And I'm like, I didn't do any of the work. You did all of the work. Right. I gave you the tools. I gave you the instruction. I gave you the tools. I gave you the guidance. I gave you the support, but it was you that put it into action. It was you that made it an actual reality for yourself. There's a lot of beliefs, right? That go along with this as well. Do, do we have the right belief set mm-hmm. and the mindset um, to be able to even take that first step, mm-hmm. right? 
Um, I love tiny habits because he, he in, in that book, he talks about if you want to run you, or do anything, start with the smallest step you can possibly take, right? And, and the example he used in the running context is don't even go for a run. Just put on your running shoes, yeah. <laughs> right? But it's true, right? I, I think I, I, I embrace this incremental approach to help people, um, even if they don't necessarily believe, because there's no way to know what you're capable of until you've done it. Mm-hmm. Until right? you take the risk. Until you take the risk. Yeah, I, I like that because um, the, the risk of it is, can I, can I do it? How well will I do it? Um, if it's public, you know, what are people going to think about it and all of these sorts of things. If I fail and if that, that brings up the topic of if failure even exists, which I don't believe, I believe believe that failure, failure is only something that exists if you decided not to learn from what didn't go right. And that is to also say that like, there is only one way for something to go right. There's so many different ways for your goals to be achieved. Um, I saw a video of, oh my God, um, it was an actor giving a speech at a like commencement ceremony. And he was talking about essentially like life's going to give you what you open yourself up to and what you put out there. And like, Mm -hmm. you just have to want it, but it may not come at you in the way that you think it's going to. So (laughs) it's probably going to come from left field on a day that you never expected 10 years down the road when you initially like, you're like, wait, I had this goal and now it's finally here it's going to come to you in those different ways. And I think if we are open to just living in the process of it, and again, like you, you just mentioned, taking the smallest step, take like making it the most achievable, achievable option for you um, to move forward. I always talk about like, let's find the lowest barrier to entry. What is the lowest barrier to entry for you to start moving towards this goal? Mm -hmm. And if that means that we're only running once a week, then we're only running once a week. We don't need to run three times a week for you to reach your goal. We may need to shift your mindset and what is actually possible with that right now. But that's your entryway. That's your ability to get into this part and get move forward towards what you eventually want to reach. And like I said, it might happen 10 years down the line, but then you'll remember, oh, I, I had this and I wanted this. Now it's finally here. And there's a bit of gratification that obviously comes with that delayed onset of sure. reaching a goal. I do think that the fit, you know, we've got a stigma around fear of failure. Oh that, my God. It so really much. does keep us from thinking nearly as big as we should and could. Mm-hmm. Right. And, you know, you know, weight loss analogy, I want to lose 20 pounds in four months. And I, if I get to 16, is that a, is that a failure? Mm-hmm. No, it's not. No. It's not a failure because if you hadn't started, if you hadn't done anything, you'd be sitting back where you were. Mm-hmm. Right. Absolutely. So part of it is just being able to redefine success mm-hmm. as well. Right. And, and not worry about um, what that, you know, what is failure and, and, and why would that be a bad thing? But, but just thinking, but, Casting it in the positive light of look at what I did do, mm-hmm. right? And and it does set us up for further success. It can become a very virtuous cycle, right? Yeah. And just being proud of the fact that you even tried that, like, I think that there is, 
again, it's not the same as like getting a participation trophy. Like that's not what I'm saying. I do absolutely believe in competition and that there is like winners and losers in sports, like obviously so. But you can still look like, especially in a sport like running in particular, there's more often than not that you're not really going to be placing in the top like amount of people and you're probably not going to be like running the fastest time if you are a general runner. And and I even include map myself in that for um, a majority of races. There's smaller races that I can do really well in and I can place, but the majority of races, like I'm a nobody just like everybody else. And if, I, but I can, if I compare myself to the elites, if I compare myself to the people that have been doing this longer than me, of course, I'm going to see myself as lesser, but the point of me trying isn't to beat them or do better than them. It was to do better than myself before I even started the race to do better than the race that I did before. But again, that depends upon what you are working on in a race. I believe that there are so many different things that you can value in a race and look forward to and have as a goal that have nothing to do with place or time that have all of the like backing of it matters about the effort that you're putting in. Mm -hmm. I have a race this coming weekend coming up and my goals for it, like I'm planning on running around the exact same time that I ran this race last year. So I'm not trying to run it any faster, just trying to run it the exact same time. My goal is to run it more consistent and better than I did last year, because last year I made the mistake of going out too fast. I got really excited. And then at like mile five and six, I was like, oh, this is going to be really tough. And (laughs) it's a half marathon. And I just like hung on for dear life. And I still did really well. I still met my goals last year. But this year, I'm like, if I did that that way last year and it wasn't kind of the best execution, can I come back this year? Same goal, but different execution and finish a little bit stronger and finish a little bit more confident. Like, is that possible? And that's where, again, it's not about the time. It's about me being able to walk away knowing that I did the thing better than I did it before. Yeah. And I'll probably get the same exact time. (laughs) Speaking of that, I I did a same course, uh, sprint triathlon. Um, I I live in near Phoenix, Arizona. It was the Cactus Man Triathlon. And my time was within one second. Wow. (laughs) Less than one second different. Now, my, my splits were completely different. Right. Yep. But, but the overall time was, was within one second. So that was, that and was, you can tell, like, again, we look at these overall times. I don't, do, do you use Strava for your workouts? Yeah. So like everybody looks at the average time, everybody looks at like, what is the, the, that marker right there. And it's like, but that tells nothing about the actual quality that was in the run or the quality that was in the race. And you probably, again, you going into those stats, you can tell a big difference between those two efforts on the same course, same type of race. But you know that one was obviously probably a little bit more efficient and a little bit more structured and, and properly executed than the race before. So even though there's one second difference, there is a growth there. There is an improvement there that needs to be like understood that can't be seen in just like an overall time. The um, one, one of the measures. So the one thing that can't be the same sort of on a, in a triathlon is the swim. They, mm-hmm. they do their best, right? <laughs> but it's a little harder to get it exactly the same. So I was told the swim was a little longer in that race. The, 
last year I was third in my age group. This year I was second. The guy that was second last year was third and I beat him by a couple of minutes. So, you know, there's other kind of markers um, to to know how you did. But to your point, um, I mean, and, and in both those races, the, the guy that won the 60 and over age group was 10 minutes ahead of us. Wow. Right. So that's pretty impressive. And, and the year before he was within three or four minutes of winning. This was a 60 year old. Now I'm not, I was never quite that good. <laughs> I was <laughs> never, incredible. I, I did, win, I, I did win, by the way, a, um, I did win one running race. It was a, a, a half marathon um, in 2004. My time wasn't great. It was a relatively small race in, in Denver, um, Colorado. Um, but Hey, you know what? A win is a win. Being on the podium is number one, um, was, a confidence was, was booster. pretty cool. It was, was really pretty cool. Um, one other thing that you that thought that, um, came to mind while, while I was listening was that, and I, I lived in Denver for 20 years, so I did Boulder, uh, the Boulder Boulder race a number of times. And, yeah. And, that's and that a, just happened this past weekend. It did. Right. Yeah. And, uh, and it's a huge race, right? So 50,000 people, they don't have age groups. They have ages, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. How did I do it for my age? And, and it's really interesting because they've got that many people. And so you can compare and I, at the peak of my running career, um, I got to, to where I was, um, almost barely in the, in the top 1% of runners in my age, age group, which was pretty cool. But, but here's the story that here's the thing that 1% is where all the variation is in runners, that mm-hmm. top 1%, because for a 10 K I was, you know, my, my PRs were, you know, like 37 minutes and obviously guys were running 10 minutes faster than that, mm-hmm. but it was still the 1%, mm-hmm. right? Because the big pack of runners was, was obviously a little bit slower. Um, so it was kind of humbling to know that there's no way I'm going to run a minute per mile faster. Right. Um, at least that was the belief in my head. And I didn't train like a world-class runner. And, and in hindsight, I probably could have done better with, with better coaching and, you know, better nutrition and all the, all the stuff that I know now that I didn't know then. Um, Don't right? we wish. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, so, so it is, it is humbling in that respect to know that, that there's always someone better. Um, uh, but it's also empowering to know that, um, yeah, there's something more for me to achieve, e- even at, even at, even as I age. Right. Mm-hmm. And that can be a big you know, this is a sort of a big mental thing. Um, I, I've been doing VO2, I just did a VO2 max test. Mm-hmm. And, and one of the nice, one of the advantages of VO2 max tests is it sets your, your aerobic and your anaerobic aerobic thresholds. And so I've been really focused on doing zone two training recently, right. And, and keeping my heart rate below, um, for me, it's 130 beats per minute. Mm-hmm. And Back 20 years ago, I could be running eight minute miles in zone two, and I can't do that anymore. And this is um, an aspect of aging. And plus, I had quite a gap because of an injury um, that uh, that kept me from running for quite a while. So now I'm running like 10 minutes per mile 
in the 120 beat per minute, 120, 130 beat per minute range. And the mental, the mental part of that is harder than the physical part. Mentally, I should know that really this is just for my heart. I want to build that aerobic capability. Mentally, I'm going, why am I going so slow? Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. And, and that's like, okay, I need to set that aside knowing that that's not, that's not who I am today. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's um, also not the purpose of the work that you're doing. Exactly. And that's the even bigger point. Yep. I work. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm the same exact way. I even 10 years ago versus now, like I talk about when I was in college, like I wouldn't run any of my easy runs slow. Like it didn't count if I ran any slower than like six or sorry, seven thirty pace. Like it just didn't count. And like, I look back now and I'm like, I was running just like constantly at like a moderate to high intensity during my training. There's no wonder why I was constantly getting injured in college where now a majority of my runs, like I, again, I don't want to place a ton of like, uh, like heavy weight on like the pace that I run or things like that. And like what, because I know that the runners listening to this podcast, everybody's in a different group. Sure. Um, but this weekend, for example, I'm looking to run between like an average of six fifty to seven minute pace. And again, mm-hmm. this is not a PR for me, but that's where I'm like kind of looking to be. Most of my workouts have, when I do hard workouts have been at a six forty five effort or under, Like I just did my last workout of this training cycle on Wednesday and it was just really short 200 meter pickups. That's less than a quarter of a mile for all of you that don't know the metric system, but really, really short pickups. And it's just about like getting a little bit of speed, a little bit of um, neuroplasticity under my feet to get my body um, ready to race. And I, again, was going pretty quick during all of those intervals. It was around again, 640 and under for all of them. I didn't know that at the time. I didn't, I don't ever look at my pacing until after I finish my workout. Cause I don't want my hmm. head to get in the way of the effort that I'm putting in and, yeah. and block myself. Um, but those are the efforts that I'm putting in my hard workouts. <laughs> there are some days where I am running nine, 10 minute pace. And like, I purposely will take my dog with me to slow me down, to make me go at that recovery effort. Um, and there's some days where my easy runs are like eight 30 or under, but for the majority, they're pretty slow. And like, I just don't even look anymore and I don't even care. It's just about time on feet. Cause I know that the purpose of those periods is to recover, just to build effort, to build my aerobic capacity and endurance for me to work at that harder effort when I do do a workout that matters. And that's where I'm trying to, again, test my fitness a little bit further and push my fitness a little bit further. Those, those times where I'm just on my feet, yes, it's building my fitness. It's building my aerobic capacity. It's building my cardiovascular health, my pulmonary health, but it's not going like, it's not going to make or break my training cycle, if I'm at a faster, easy pace, or actually it could, it can break your, break your cycle. If you're constantly running at that fast pace, but if I'm running super slow, that's not going to change anything. That's not going to impact me in a negative way. Indeed. Yeah. Well, the model that I'm working with is 80, nominally 80% of my aerobic work is done at zone two, which is purely aerobic and fat, fat burning. And then 
one or two high heart high heart rate workouts per week. Mm-hmm. Um, and right and now that's the perfect dosage. Like that's, that's what I try to kind of keep myself at as well as all of my athletes. It's the 80, 20 rule. Yeah. And, and, and I'm fortunate that, um, I mentioned I had kind of a gap and, um, I had a hip injury mm-hmm. coming out of, of my, so let me back up for a second. Um, when I turned 50, I'd like to share this because I think it's, it's useful um, just to show the progression that when I turned 50, I said, I want to be able to um, beat the, the PR time that I had set in an Olympic distance triathlon when I was 35. So, and, and I, I had never had a coach before. So I hired a triathlon coach and, uh, I worked with him that, that season. I did a bunch of races. I traveled, um, to like six different States to do races that year. I was, I was really sort of focused on it. You could say, and I did, I beat my time twice in two different races. So it wasn't just a fluke. Um, the congratulations. Problem, yeah. Thank you. It was, it was awesome. And, and I was probably, but again, you know, so I was, I was, and I probably had a couple, I don't know that I ever won my age group in, in a triathlon. I, my, my, my running has been my strength, although I've worked on my swimming and cycling to the point where it's, there's more or less parity, right. Mm-hmm. Between the, the, you know, between my performance and the different sports. Um, and I will say being a runner is kind of nice because I'll see, I'll see these big guys pass me on the bike and I'm like, I'm going to get you on the run. <laughs> <laughs> And sometimes I would, um, and sometimes I didn't because they were good runners too. But, uh, at the end of that season, I started having a hip problem, um, particularly on the run. And, um, I, would never been particularly good about stretching. Um, and at, by the end of the season, I knew that I could just sort of count on at the end of a 10 K run that the last, um, mile or so that I was going to be having some hip problems mm-hmm. and it got to the point. So I kept kind of just, I did, I kind of ignored it. Right. I didn't take, I didn't, I didn't get treatment as soon as I should have until it became, till it got to the point where, um, I couldn't finish a run. I got to mm-hmm. the point it wasn't even a really long run and I, and it got so bad. Fortunately I could walk. Right. So I walked home. And at that point, it's like, well, now I guess I have to go get some treatment, right? Something's, yeah. something's obviously not, not going well here. So I did a bunch of stuff. I mean, I got um, a, a diagnosis of a torn labrum um, and I decided to do stem cell surgery. Now, this was almost 10 years ago, mm-hmm. right? Um, and I did some physical therapy and it didn't really help. Um, I, I, I could run for a bit and, and get either hip pain during the run or after the run. Mm-hmm. And, and that went on for several years. So I didn't run at all. Mm-hmm. I mean, this probably six or seven years and I try to run a little bit. Maybe it's, you know, maybe given enough time, it's, you know, the body has healed itself and no, it hasn't. But what happened for me was um, one of my, well, my massage therapist suggested using a lacrosse ball 
He said, have you ever really gotten into it with a lacrosse ball? And Lauren, that has made a huge difference for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say I, I feel it occasionally now, um, but I, 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 I'll spend two minutes every day with a couple of different therapy balls and I just roll on the, the hip on the, on the posterior side. Um, and what I'm thinking was going on was that, and I don't have good flexibility. So, you know, what happens in the chain, the weak, the weakest link is going to give, mm-hmm. right. But by giving it a little bit of extra, um, not strength, but just, um, lubrication, lubrication and or length, mm-hmm. right. That it was, it's been enough to keep me from, you know, from having that, that pain. So I got so excited a couple of years ago and this finally worked out that I I started running again and I went up too fast, too soon. And lo and behold, boom, what did I end up with was a hamstring injury over on the other leg. Mm -hmm. And and that's that's how it happens every single time. (laughs) Exactly. And so, you know, um, I was, I was assuming and hoping this would just, you know, resolve within, you know, a few days and then a few weeks and then a few months. I did do some, uh, some physical therapy and this was um, a year and a half ago and I'm, and I'm still experiencing it. Right. So this is, and I'm, I've got to the point though, where it's stable. Um, mm-hmm. And, and I, and I have been, I've seen a couple different physical therapists and we've been working on strengthening, strengthening, and it's a lot better than it was. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've been back at track and that's, that's been, you know, exciting because I definitely, I couldn't, I couldn't run track with the, so, you know, I, I, I ramped back up, I ran track a few times and that was it. And I had to lot to knock off for about six months. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that this is like a great, like kind of demonstration that all physical therapists are not built the same. I will say it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you definitely need to work with somebody that is going to understand one, your mentality as an athlete and like what you are, what the demands of your sport are going to put into place. Um, but also you need to understand, like you have to work with somebody that also knows how to progressively load the body to tolerate what you are trying to achieve. And it has to sometimes be a combination. If you're in such acute pain, like Greg is talking about here, it has to be in you, you have to provide the body, like again, those those soft tissue um, releases to be able to do more, to be able to tolerate some of the load. Um, I'm a big believer that running can be therapeutic. You just have to know the right dose to give mm-hmm. your body to be able to build from that. And if we bring back and we dial down and then build up nice and slow, most people can get to the point where they're tolerating what they would like to be tolerating on a consistent basis. But humans aren't super um, uh, patient. (laughs) And so we like to kind of push things. We like to try new things. We like to get back into it as quickly as possible. Um, And that's where we kind of get ourselves into trouble. And I mean, I'm the exact same way um, in terms of that. But I think finding finding what works for you is super important. If soft tissue stuff helps, Amazing. That's great. Also incorporating a lot of strengthening is going to help, but it has to be specific, like run specific strengthening, considering that was the thing that was bothering you. And that's kind of like what my specialty is, is working on that run specific strength and how to 
build that foundation, build that communication in the system. And then from there, grow that to the point where you can translate that into higher level strength-based movements that you're doing in the gym or doing at home. Um, I have clients that don't go to the gym at all and they just have home equipment and we can make it hard at home. Sure, absolutely. <laughs> there's no there's no problem with that. Um, so it's just, again, about managing load and figuring out what your body is specifically looking for. So I'm glad that for you, that process was able to kind of translate over time. Unfortunately, the time that it did took, but it was able to translate over time into you getting back into running. Um, can you talk a little about, just because I think it can be helpful again for people to hear like, how was your headspace during that time when dealing with an injury? Because I, I hear it very often on my end of like what people experience, but I don't think people talk to each other in that regard in terms of like how hard it can be. Mm -hmm. So can you talk a little bit about your like mental headspace during that time when you were dealing with that injury and you weren't able to run? So this is why I think it's important to have what we could call a diversified exercise portfolio. <laughs> yeah. Right. And, you know, people who are exclusively runners, I do as well. Um, actually, fewer and fewer. I, I think that e even in the running community, there's sort of an acknowledgement that running, it's starting to shift. Yeah. Six days a week or seven days a week uh, running exclusively is is maybe not optimal for most people. Right. Mm -hmm. So I'm fortunate in that sense. Right. First of all, I've been doing triathlon um, for a number of years. So I, I was, um, cycling mountain biking in particular, right. was sort of my release or my, my alternative. The other thing was I could do the elliptical without any pain or any aggravation of the inj injury as well. So I, I was okay with spending an hour on the elliptical. I know some people find that incredibly boring, but, um, I'd listen to podcasts or set, you know, do certain things like if there was a TV on, I'd, I'd, um, I'd do the commercials hard or something like that. Right. I mean, Oh, I love that. That's a really great way to like kind of vary it break up. it up. Yeah, yeah. To break it up. Um, and the other thing that I've been, I was doing as well. So I'm, I'm sort of unusual because not only, not only have I, I've been a runner, a triathlete, but I've also been a bodybuilder and I was doing a lot of, a lot more weightlifting, um, in, in my early fifties as well. And my, <laughs> The first time I went um, to work out with my my bodybuilding coach, he said, no more cardio for you, Mr. Damien. <laughs> um, which, you're like, that's funny. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, because I rode, I literally, I rode my bike to his gym and he's like, now we're not going to do that anymore. So, so, you know, I think it's helpful though to understand how different athletes train Mm -hmm. Right. Because there's a very different mindset towards nutrition when mm -hmm. you're in the, in the bodybuilding or, or weight training mode, as opposed to um, endurance athletes. And maybe it's changed because, well, no, I wouldn't. I, I don't think it has. <laughs> I see the, 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 the weight training bodybuilding world pay more attention to diet than I think the endurance community does. I think the endurance community is a little bit more about volume rather than sometimes quantity. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and, and so it's interesting to get that perspective, but, but to go back to your question, right. I was able to, to, to go, yeah, that stinks that I can't run because that really is my, 
my preference, right? And, and where I was really kind of the best and we like to do things that we, I guess, are, are good at. Good at. Yeah. But, but I just pivoted. I pivoted over to other, other sports and activities really without missing, you know, a beat. And I'm pretty, well, no, I'm very consistent with my workouts. <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty much a six day a week kind of guy. With nice. either weight training or or some sort of um, cardiovascular work. I love that. And I love that you highlighted the fact that like also during that time, during your injury, you were focusing on a lot of strength training because I'm going to absolutely state that, that that was probably also something that helped your hip in that period of time as well in terms of still maintaining strength and stability and things like that. Um, but also the you're again kind of promoting the fact when what I talk to my athletes about about like having other things that you're passionate about and that you enjoy and it may not be the number one thing but it is something that we can utilize and lean on in those times where running can't be the number one thing because of injury because of life because of whatever it may be that there are other things that you can kind of fall back on and becoming that more well-rounded athlete is going to not only benefit you mentally and emotionally that we're not putting all of this stress, all of this pressure on one sport, but we're also allowing the body to become more athletic because we're using the muscles in different ways. And we're, we're becoming a bit more variable in our movements on a daily basis. I've changed my thinking. Certainly when I was 50 and I had that goal for triathlon, I, I was completely focused on triathlon, you know, in that, um, training cycle. And as a 60 year old human athlete, I, my, my goal is different. I'm not, I'm not aspiring to be the best runner or triathlete or even bodybuilder that I can be. I I'm, I'm playing what a number of people call the long game at this point. So I'm doing the things that I believe are going to be most beneficial for me over the next 20, 30, 40 years of my life. Mm -hmm. Right. And and I don't think that ultra, I mean, this is my opinion. Um, be interested actually to get your thought on this as well, that I, I, I really, I think there is a point of not only diminishing returns, but possibly negative returns with ultra endurance. You know, I mean, uh, Ironman triathlon, I think is a tremendous thing to be able to do. Um, it's certainly not necessary to do that level of volume for good health. And I think for older folks in particular, it, it becomes more of, there's actually probably something else going on why people do that um, as opposed to pure health and fitness. Yeah. There's, right. there's a little bit of like a tapped mentality in there. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, absolutely. I mean, in terms of physiological like changes and benefits, we see the body tap out in specific, like, so I talk about this with my marathoners. I'm like, we don't need to be doing 26 miles in your marathon training. Like, you don't even need to necessarily be doing over 20 miles, depending upon what, like how, um, what your pace is. If you're at a slower pace, you don't need to be spending that amount of time out there. Cause that's going to take you way too long. Um, and it's going to actually create more fatigue in your body. That's going to not be progressive and optimal in your training cycle. We actually, we see the body tap out in terms of physiological benefits, um, for, like marathon training in particular at like three and a half, four hours. So the maximum amount of time on feet that I will tell a runner to do, especially 
a runner that I know is going to be a five, six hour marathoner Mm -hmm. is four hours. I don't want them spending more time on feet. Now, if they're like gun ho, I must get in 20 miles before I go and run this marathon. Okay. I calculated it out and I'm like, all right, it's 4.15. Like, it's not like they're going to be spending five hours out there. Like they're going to, they can get that in during that time. Um, But it's not necessary because again, the, the physiological benefits stop at that three and a half, four hour mark. And so if we're not really seeing any physiological gains from it, the only growth that you're getting from it is maybe mentally Mm. and being able to know that you can travel that distance, which I do think that that is probably the benefit that ultra endurance athletes are getting from spending that amount of time on feet when they're in their training. It's not necessarily the physical at that point. It's just being able to know that you can continue running for X amount of hours, especially for people that are doing hundred milers and they know that they're going to be on their feet for over 24 hours. Like they, they know they need to know that they can traverse that amount of time or just spend that amount of time consistently moving. And again, it's not them doing 24 hours in their training cycle, but maybe they're doing a day where they have five, six hours on their feet. But I think the big difference between ultra and like road racing is I think there's way more acceptance in that community because especially because it's happening in areas like Boulder um, and just like very mountainous areas that require a lot of elevation gain and traversing, Mm -hmm. there's more acceptance that you're going to walk. Like you're going to have to walk at points. Like you're not going to be consistently running that entire time where I think in the road racing community and even the shorter like trail, this trail races, there is this thought that like to be a quote unquote real runner, you have to constantly be running. And I don't believe that that's the case at all. Um, I still walk on my runs and I've been running for almost no more, uh, 18 years, 18 years. So like, I still have to walk at times. Does that not make, like, I've been doing this for 18 years and now I'm a coach and like my whole business and life is based off of this. Am I not a real runner because I take walk breaks? No, (laughs) whoever made that rule, like, I, I don't know who they are and who they, who started kind of like putting that lie and that myth out there, but it, it does not exist. All, all movement is good, right? There's there's just absolutely no doubt about that. That it's, and I mean, you know, the 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 point about dose is a good one, right? The, the, mm-hmm. We kind of need to work that out with with our bodies is to determine, you know, what is the the right uh, dose and the and the right rest, mm-hmm. right? Um, one of the things that that my coach had me do and 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 uh, it was different for me, right? So that's one of the beautiful things about working with a coach is you're going to get um, instructions that you wouldn't think of yourself, mm-hmm. right? And so, no, we're going to take two days off. Two days! <laughs> <laughs> you're like, no, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> you're like, I got I to do something. <laughs> you know, I, I mean, okay, a walk around the block is, is not yeah. re- really quite you know, um, in the same order of magnitude. Right. But no, I I did. And, um, you know, I had, uh, I have a friend, he's a, he's a doc, retired doctor. He is an Ironman triathlete. He has a coach. And I asked him, do you always tell your coach everything? 
You know, I mean, are you completely honest with your coach? And uh, he said, yeah, I am. Because if I'm not, he really can't help me. You're only doing yourself a disservice by not telling the whole truth. Of For like what's sure. Going on. I mean, that's, that's the obvious statement. And maybe with all of this technology that we have today, um, it's a little harder to hide. Well, you can always delete the workout or whatever, right? Um, maybe it's a little bit harder to hide from it, but I think it was, it, it was a little bit more of an honor system. It's like, yeah, this is what I did um, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, for, for better or worse. So that is, that, I think that's an important point, right? Is the, the coaching, the client coach relationship is a, a trust relationship, right? Mm-hmm. And, and it works best when there really is complete trust and, and um, confidence, right? Both, in both parties. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I work really hard to create a type of relationship with my clients and still a professional relationship, but a relationship where they can feel comfortable telling me not only just the things that matter in training, but the things that are also happening in their life. And it's at their discretion of how much they sure. choose to share with me. But I think it's extremely important that I know some of the things that are going on in the background of your life and work and relationships and things like that. Because if you're having trouble, like if we're just seeing like a constant wall with workouts and we're not getting to see any like progression and just some, there's a missing piece and we've been working on the sleep and the recovery side of thing. And we're, we're getting the nutrition down. Um, hydration is good. Like for females, I talk, I look into their menstrual cycles and things like that. Mm-hmm. But it, but if there is some type of block and I'm like, what is happening here? I, I, I check in and I'm like, what's going on in, in life? Like not in training, in life. Because if there's undue amount of stress, um, if there's just more demand on our life, if, if you're a new mom, if, if you just had a breakup or a loss of a family member that was really close to you. Those things are going to impact your training. They're going to impact you physiologically, whether you actually acknowledge them out loud or not. If we have obviously a huge mental health crisis going on in um, the world right now. And I think a lot of people are in this space of trying to be able to communicate better with their themselves as well as the people around them how they're emotionally and mentally doing but it's still really hard to be able to sometimes find the words even as an adult and whether you acknowledge that you're going through those stressors or not your body is going to be under that stress and expressing that stress where you don't even know and that could show up in you not being able to run any faster than your easy pace right now that could show up in your blood pressure being elevated that could show up in your gut health being off and you having like digestive issues and GI distress can be in all these different ways that we're seeing stress impact you. Um, Your sleep, not being able to sleep. That's a very obviously common one, Mm -hmm. but I think being able to have that open dialogue is super important to be able to acknowledge, like, again, at the level of their discretion, as much as they want to share how much of life is impacting you because you're training to live, not living Correct. to train. So yes. like you, you need to have the balance there. And sometimes that balance is going to ebb and flow. And that's probably the biggest lessons that I've learned over the past probably five years in training is that my 
life is sometimes going to be all in and like, or have the capacity for me to be all in and running and training and racing and doing everything that I love in terms of physical activity. And then there's going to be, which was like last year for me, last year I was like all in training and I ran a bunch of races and I was having a great time. And I like, I didn't do any PRs last year, but I just like enjoyed being physically active and training at a very high volume. Um, and this year, like I had intentions to do more and like this year has been a complete storm of like just craziness that has just happened in my life and happened in work. And so my, my capacity for training is much lower and I'm just starting like six months into the year. I'm just starting to like get a grapple on it. And I'm like, okay, I think things are leveling out and I can actually put more time and effort into it. And I think being able to communicate that these ebbs and flows exist is super important for people to understand. I'd like to follow up on that, that emotional health issue because it, it's actually um, very related to how I started running. And mm-hmm. um, I was raised in a family with my brother and sister may not agree with me completely, but well, certainly my father was a, a pretty heavy drinker, whether we want to use the word alcoholic or not is sort of debatable. And he, and he was rather checked out of our lives. He had more or less outsourced raising kids to, uh, uh, to my mother. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I got out of college and I, I moved to Florida for my first post-college job and, and I started drinking a lot and, and more than I knew that was good for me. Right. And coincidentally, at the same time, um, a, a gentleman that I knew from work invited me to go run with him. He was a marathon runner. And that's how I started running. And, um, you know, first run was three miles. He said, that's pretty good. Most people can't go out and run three miles, you know, for the, you know, for their very first run. And this was on just whatever kind of tennis shoes that I had, right? Not any, any kind of good shoes. <laughs> and I could immediately see stress relief from the running, but I was also still drinking at the time. And there was an event. Well, there was a happy hour after work. I had had some, um, some beers or whatever. I'm weaving in and out of traffic. I shouldn't have been even driving probably. And I, but there was this voice in my head that said, you better slow down. What are you doing? This is stupid. So I slow down and I look over to my right and there's a state trooper staring right at me. And I was fortunate that I wasn't pulled over. Um, and, but I, it was at that point that I made the decision that, um, do I want to go down the path of alcohol and, and go down the path that my father went, or do I want to take another path? And and I decided to take another path. And running was the way for me to escape that um, that alcoholic path. Mm-hmm. And I, I became very um, very defensive of my running in that in that perspective because it's like no, I I don't want to give I don't want anything to interfere with this because I'm afraid of what might happen. Mm-hmm. What I want to say, though, is this, is that when many, so 30, 40 years later, right? Um, well, I guess it would be 30 years. And, and my, my girlfriend was sharing with me her family situation, her a very sad situation where her father had been physically abusive to her. Um, and she said something to me very profound that made me realize that I still had some wounds. She said, I would have rather have been physically 
abused and neglected. And I'm like, oh. And I realized that while running made me feel better, it didn't really solve my emotional issues, right? Mm-hmm. And 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 I'd also been um, beginning to do a little bit of therapy around all of this. Um, and so that is a message that I guess I'd like to share, right? Is that running is good. And, and if we want to say I cross addicted from alcohol to running, I'm okay with that, mm-hmm. right? But I would also say it wasn't really sufficient to help me overcome the trauma that I actually had experienced. And so in addition to the running, I would have been well advised to have, to have done some counseling and some therapy to understand why I became the person that I became because I was very independent and I had all of these sort of, um, you know, results of that, of that um, period of my life growing up um, mm-hmm. in that environment. So um, I, I, I just want, I wanted to share that because I think that's an important aspect of all of this. I felt great running, but it didn't solve my emotional problem. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you for sharing that. Cause I, I know that that is obviously like something very personal to you. And I know that you had shared it with me in, um, your bio when we originally kind of connected. Mm-hmm. Um, and I appreciate you kind of also sharing that fact of like that running can be a great tool for mental health and for stress relief. Um, but it is not therapy. It is not the thing that's going to actually help discussing what is happening underneath the layers. Um, and I think that something in, again, now we're seeing again, the ability of, and the, almost the force of like, mental health has to be discussed. Like we need to stop thinking that mental health doesn't exist and it, it, because it absolutely does. And it's not, doesn't make you crazy to go and talk to somebody. I've been working with my therapist since before COVID. Um, and I just so happened to start working with her right before COVID started and thank God I did because like it helped me during that time. Um, and I realized during the first few months of her and I working together, how much I also relied on running to essentially just like take some of that stress and anxiety that I was experiencing that I didn't have the words for. And I I didn't even understand that I was actually experiencing. I thought what I was experiencing was normal. I was like, this is is what people feel. And like, this is what life is. And like, she was like, no, (laughs) this is not not what's like, quote unquote, normal. Like you shouldn't be like feeling this way all the time. You shouldn't be going through these really like high and low periods. Um, and you shouldn't be essentially training yourself to the point of just exhaustion to not have to feel those things. And that is going to show up in other ways of your life. And it, it did, it showed up in other very toxic ways of my life at that time. And I'm really proud of the fact that now do I still have things to work on? Absolutely. I'm not perfect. I'm the farthest thing from it. And I have my bad habits. I have my like stubbornness. I have all of these traits that can make me <laughs> a bit abrasive at times. And like, I'm okay with it. Like those are, those are my traits, but I am aware of it and I'm working on improving those things and being a better human, being a better partner, being a better listener. And I think those, I think my own journey going into mental health as well and talking with somebody has not only made me a better coach for my athletes, but it's also made me better in my, my running because now 
running truly is like freedom for me. It is not an escape. It is not a, a, it is a tool, but it is not the thing that I rely on to make myself feel okay. It's something that adds to my life, not Mm -hmm. must have to be in my life. And I'm glad to hear that like you're also going down that journey as well, because it it's really freeing and exciting when that happens, when running just gets to be, or training in general, just to get to be training and exciting and not this pressure that we put on ourselves. I'll follow that story up just to, to share that that friend of mine, and of course this was in the eighties when I, when I started, um, when he invited me to run and, and he recently passed away. Um, yeah, thank you. Um, his, his wife reached out to me, you know, the wonders of Facebook, um, and shared that he was, he, he was a recovering alcoholic. He never disclosed that to me. Oh, wow. Um, and he was something like three or four days away from being sober for 50 years when he passed away. Incredible. Yeah, that was, that was, that was really incredible. So, um, that's a fun part of, of that story. And, um, I I would also say how serendipitous that he was the one to get you to to introduce you to something that, and again, like it's very, very normal. I, I think it were, maybe not normal, but I think it's very common for people to do kind of what you, what you said, you transferred one addiction to another. And that is a very common coping tool. There are certain times that we need crutches in our life until we are able to actually dive into the things that are bothering us. And like it, that is part of the grieving process. And it's a grieving process because it, it never fully goes away. It's, there's always something there that you're grieving, especially when you have traumas in your life. And most people do, but well, most people have trauma in their life that they don't even fully realize. Um, and those things need to be dealt with in time. But until you're ready to truly open up that door, open up that Pandora's box and kind of go through whatever you need to kind of go through to move to the next step, sometimes we just need a tool. and if running can be that tool for people, fantastic. Like that is, that is a great tool to use in moderation, obviously, but it's a great tool to use to be able to move forward in your life in a positive way. Um, and taking that step into the person that like you specifically became. Yeah. Thank you. Well, Greg, this has been a fantastic call. Um, I had, ideas of what we would talk about and like we've gone on so many different tangents and it has just been a pleasure kind of like talking about like the little ins and outs of training and working with people and the mind and all these different things that come with being an athlete really uh so is there anything that you want any last thoughts that you want to leave for the listeners with this call um, and then can you share kind of where people can find you? Oh, sure. Sure. Yeah. Thank you for that. And, and I've, I very much enjoyed this conversation as well. Um, I will, I would just like to, to share that I, as I mentioned, I'm a coach and, and the kind of coaching I'm actually doing is pretty simple. There's, there's a basic weight issue with a lot of folks. And so I'm happy to help people work on that as a, as a weight loss coach you know, the more advanced sort of look and feel younger is, is cool. And some people like, you know, are, are interested in that. Um, 
Uh, I have a website, abs at 60, A-B-S-A-T-6-0 com, And uh, that's where people can learn more. Um, you can get the, uh, the link to my book, um, abs at 60 there as well. And um, I'd be happy to, uh, to chat with anybody about um, what their situation is and how I can help them. Awesome. I will make sure to drop all of that below in the show notes so that people can find you, can look up your book, can contact you as well um, and have a conversation with you. And hopefully it develops new relationships because that's my whole purpose is just to try and give people more information and more autonomy in their own choices and being able to move forward. So thank you so much again for being on the podcast and I wish you the best. Thank you. You as well. And to your listeners. But that is all for today's episode of the Up and Running Podcast. I hope you enjoyed and had some key takeaways from today's episode. If there are other questions or topics that you are looking for me to dive into, please reach out to me via Instagram and shoot me a DM at the personalized running doc today. I'll talk to you soon.